old school. You first. Dude, I'll do any first at this point. Yeah. Whoa. Let's <laughs> just say yes, Tom over there. And I'm Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. You, sir. What's going on, Justin? Heavy Hole Podcast. Describe the hat, please, for the listeners. 1994 starter, Stanley Cup champion, New York Rangers. Okay, this is the Heavy Hole Let's Podcast. Go. That's the cold intro right there. That's, 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 yeah. Tom, you, Tom said yes to those glasses and that shirt. Tom, Tom mm-hmm. looks like, um, like a surfer themed professional wrestler. I yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely does. Yeah. yeah I was hoping that would be a, a, like a, a roast, but that was a compliment. No, this, oh, that's the other podcast. Yeah, that's true. Every whole podcast, we get compliments. Everybody. Only compliments. Yeah, yeah. The only compliment podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we don't shit on bands. We the, just hang out. The only compliment I have to give you is that I'm interested in what you did for your weekend. Were you wearing that shirt the whole weekend? Bro, I moved. Uh, here's the thing. My parents' basement is where the studio has been built. Mm-hmm. Now I come over here. I don't live here anymore. My father yeah. actually helped build the studio. That's a long story. He built it, the heavy hole. Yeah, this be, is some before, weird history. Before any of us were like conceived, my father built this room here. Like he laid the foundation work of the, the granite floor and mm-hmm. dug it out before your parents moved into this place. Yeah, it's like this is Huntington history. But we're that's right. Mm-hmm. We're a little too deep in the hole for the listeners right now. I'm sorry, Tom. Yeah. But it's a big old house, and uh, you know, history aside, no central air. Ooh. So every summer, I have to carry the air conditioners up many flights of stairs. This year was the best. I had so much fun doing it because yeah. <laughs> I've been just lifting so much at the gym, just crushing. Yeah, okay. Dude. Feeling okay. good. I was like, this is a, what is this? Were you wearing the sunglasses and the Hawaiian shirt carrying, carrying the yes, air conditioners? Yes, I was. That's, you know, you asked why if I was okay. wearing the right. shirt always. He's not really like a captain. He's like Lu- Lieutenant Lou Albano right now. Just like a, like a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like a first mate, yeah, Lou Albano. Yeah, he's still young, still out on the prowl. Okay. I don't r- remember exactly what I said, but yeah. there was a cool quip. Every time I put one in the window, when the air conditioner, I would d- say like, "Stay cool." <laughs> yeah, dude, I love it. I love it. I yeah, love it. I'm. That's that's good that you still bring your air conditioners up and down like a poor person. I just buy new ones every year. Yeah, just push them out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I've done really well for myself selling old air conditioners. I just buy new ones. Yeah, <laughs> I'm poor as hell. Yeah. I mean, I would do that. I, we we buy five thousand dollar mics for the show yeah. every quarter. I well, am... actually, the Patreon people. Do, yes. but that's a whole Thank other you. story. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But uh, that, yeah, that was it. That's all that matters this weekend. Yeah, my weekend, man. I got rich. I oh. made so much money this weekend. What? Wait, is wait. that fish or oh my who's, god? Who's fish rich? Money? What what happened, dude? I made dick amount of money. I'm so rich. Wow. Yeah. Who's rich? Who's dick? What I are these did guys stocks. I did bonds. Okay. I did. I did homes. I sold this. I put some old air conditioners up. I swear to God, I am rolling in it right now. What bullshit? How much money? How much money talk- do you need? What are oh. we? T- what are you talking about? I don't even know what just happened. I, I pictured like like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, like yeah. but but fishing yeah. and installing <laughs> air conditioners. That's right. Yeah, I caught uh, three fluke. I pictured, <laughs> I'm picturing Justin with like one of those like red. Those little kid wagons, the little red wagon with the, the red handle. rider, yeah. yeah, with like three air conditioners stacked yeah. up in it. Just yeah. like, I have one of those, but it's solid gold because I'm <laughs> he's, pull, he's pulling it from like a motorized scooter. Yep, you have that gold hitch. Freon that doesn't work. Absolutely, nice. Whatever wow. headphones uh, you're listening to this podcast in right now, or maybe a stereo, I have a better pair or a better Jeez. one. <laughs> Jeez, Mister Money over here, man. Yeah. There are so many dollars. Dibiase. Wow. Wow, the zeros. Yeah. All right. All right. Chill out over there. <laughs> J. Wall DiBiase over here, the million dollar 
All right, Will, we just, covered, we just covered two strengths, okay? One is physical, one financial. Where's your strength this weekend? Um, my strength was in conserving my energy. <laughs> nice. Efficiency. In sloth-like fashion due to this unseasonable heat. Uh, yeah, my, I just kind of spent my day off this weekend lounging about. I felt a little guilty for it. I did some laundry and... Some basic, like, civ- basic, like, trying to keep up civility type of things, but... Gotcha. Yeah, showered once or twice over the weekend, but... Yeah, other than that, man, it was it was a tough one. I listened to a few um, death metal albums. Nice. I actually... Revi- check this out, man. I don't... Maybe I'm a little... Maybe you gotta reel me in. I listened to <laughs> Gorguts Obscura, and I've, and I've been listening to it since it was, like, a new album. Like, the new Obscura is out, even though that's a whole story that we know that it was written years before, whatever, mm-hmm. but that's... That's but different. I feel like I finally understand it. Maybe the not like I understand. No, I'm not saying I understand Gorguts, but I think I understand it the most that I'm going to while I'm alive. Okay. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm going to wrap my head around any more of it. I think I'm like, like, I guess what I'm saying is I, it's, I'm not saying I've like solved it. Like I understand where they were coming from or how they play those instruments i don't really understand how the ramones play their instruments let alone <laughs> Gorguts. but i just feel like i've reached the threshold of 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 that of Gorguts. and then i listened to negativa <clears throat> that ep they put out are you, are you guys familiar with that yeah it's a luke lemay yeah, it was, project it was, it's, yeah. it's arguably the continuation of obscura in a way um we won't put words in luke lemay's mouth rest in peace steve hurdle but yeah, I just kind of felt um, like, you know, those memes of the guy with the huge brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the heat did that to me this weekend. I don't know. I just kind of baked my head in, in Luke LeMay and Steve Hurdle this weekend. And I just, again, I, I, I don't understand yeah. them, but I, I'm done trying. I'm just going to ride it. I'm going to ride the vibe. Wow, dude. Yeah. We completed it. Brains, brawn. And sweet dollar bills. Well, I'm glad yeah. we covered the brains because I don't want to talk about that anymore tonight. <laughs> oh, because tonight's guest is a man who rode the wave and completed the dream and so many brains along the way. That's none other than uh, Long Island native Dave Castile. We're going to get into it. Um, uh, one of the uh, owners and proprietors of the famous St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn, uh, also a member of the band's White Widows Pact and Primitive Weapons. Let's get Dave Castile on the phone. No more, no more uh, bullshit, man. Come on. tonight is dave castile known as uh, one of the owners and proprietors of the saint vitus bar in brooklyn also longtime member of primitive weapons and white widows pact how are you sir i'm good man just hanging out uh li- living you know <laughs> making ma- busy day today lots of shows but things are good I-, I can only imagine how busy an average day is for you especially now with things rolling with live music again thankfully and all that sort of thing. We want to get a little taste of that, but we also want to respect your time, as we always do right off the bat. Um, so with no further ado, as I always do, I'll credit my research real quick. I got to say, the uh, If I Ruled the World podcast 
um, uh, episode that you did about, I guess, two years ago or so now, and the Kerrang! article, History of St. Vitus, um, were, were uh, big research things for me. So I always got to credit my research. I know from that you are allegedly from Wontaw, New York. Uh, I am, man. I'm from Wontaw, born and raised there. Uh, lived there for the first, like, 19 or so years of my life before I moved to Brooklyn. Um, and now I reside in Brooklyn and the Jersey Shore. Okay, um, and I'm a real tri-state area fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, you got you got all the bases covered, really, man. Um, yeah, I do. The the listeners are gonna have a hard time picking apart the accent uh, at this point, man. You got you got maybe you cover. I don't the bases. even. I don't even fucking know anymore, man. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I hear a little wantaw in there. Tell me about um, just the beginning. We'll ask you the typical heavy hole question. Um, any. Uh, Music? Are you from a musical family? Anybody in your upbringing that steered you towards heavy metal, hardcore punk, or anything like that? Uh, not really. You know what I mean? Like, my eldest brothers kind of introduced me, uh, Andres and Javier, to, like, rock music. They're much older than I am, though. You know, like, 13 and 15 years older than I am. Um, so, you know, like, stuff that was, you know, I was born in 83, you know, so, like, stuff like you know, when I was a really little kid, like four or five years old, like Guns N' Roses, you know what I mean? Big stuff like that. And they also really loved Led Zeppelin. Uh, for whatever reason, my brother Javier really like loved Led Zeppelin a lot. And that definitely made an impact on me as well. Uh, but, you know, my parents are from Bogota, Colombia, and it was pretty much like 80s pop radio and 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 that sort of influence that my brothers are bringing in a little bit that was really like the english song music that i really heard as like a kid huh. you know um and then yeah like any other kind of forms like that i just kind of figured out on my own like meaning like underground music punk metal hardcore just like really just through hanging out with friends and skateboarding and things of that nature. And that's what really started bringing a lot of that into like the forefront as I got older, you know, into like my teen years and stuff. Okay. All right. Um, well, you must've gotten a lot, uh, a lot of people thinking you were Italian with Castillo instead of Castillo growing up on Long Island. Yeah, Jeez. definitely. There's a lot of Castillo, not a lot of Castillo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it was, and uh, you know, I'm a light skin dude and so the people <laughs> definitely thought that was the case but uh fucking long no I'm, I'm yeah yeah i'm i'm colombian uh proudly so i speak spanish my parents are you know from uh from bogota and literally i'm the only one who was born in the united states my my brothers and my sister were all born in in colombia and stuff so i'm like i'm like the fucking you know i'm i'm like the the american wow. <laughs> you know uh, yeah, I was born in Mineola, so um, hmm. shout out to Mineola. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so that right by the Ethical Humanist Center, uh, where I saw many a, a show growing up. But yeah, so like that's that was pretty much uh, yeah my my sort of background and like my parents always really liked music and stuff. I just don't think that I really you know appreciated what they were kind of bringing until I got like older and then I was like, well, a lot of this shit is really cool too, you know, but you want to always kind of be, uh, I think, you know, yourself and have your own ideas and stuff like that, especially growing up, right. You're always kind of like 
a bit against the grain and also like when you're a kid you're like what's happening now and like this you know in in certain ways and like what was happening and that time in like the 80s and shit was like michael jackson i was like enamored with like him and prince and madonna and and george michael and like pop stars like that and then also like you know just larger in life characters you know motley Crue and guns and roses and stuff like all that shit was on the same dial really you know uh, all happening at the same time so that's really where i was what i was sort of like fascinated by when i was like a little kid yeah, yeah, I'm um I was born in 82, man. The, the 80s was for to be a little kid in that era of image and marketing. Um I think really left I know for me a bit like just a bit like like you say kind of like it, I think it, it leaves a mark on how you approach music and art even as an adult, you know, like I th- I think it speaks to like extreme metal and uh, it kind of a bigger picture type of thing, man. It, it, the the 80s was was a, a wild generation. Yeah, definitely. Um and uh, yeah, it completely shaped, uh, a lot of how I am. I mean, in, in a way, those tastes, if you evolve them, they sort of stayed. I'm, I'm almost like, uh, I always joke around that I'm like Warren from Empire Records, you know, huh. the kid who gets caught stealing the CDs, you know, it's yeah. like rap, metal, rap, metal, Whitney Houston, except I'm like, not ashamed of it. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that too. And then I got into kind of like, industrial music and post-punk and like techno music and stuff like that as i got older you know but uh that was that's sort of like the the genesis of it and i feel like that's all music that's very um cathartic you know very like it builds movement it builds a a lot so that i was just fascinated you know to me the little kid i'm like who are these people are they even people they're like superheroes you know and it was like a mass market big commercial thing you know it's so different than today where it's you know somebody gonna have like 10 million views on like tiktok or something but there's segments of the population that won't know what that means or what that is which is really different you know because at the time it's like madonna is just like a household name that's that's what it is you know maybe in sports you get that but not really as much in music anymore i don't think yeah, yeah, I, I I can see what you mean, man. That uh, that's interesting. Now, I I you mentioned like industrial music. I in that um in one of the other interviews I listened to, you were talking about you you brought up like Nitzer Ebb, and um uh, other kind of like more industrial and and more obscure artists than your everyday artists that people might know. I want to get from uh, growing up in Long Island, New York, to how you finally get into stuff like that. Like, what's the road to heavier, more extreme music? And then what is it like in particular listening to stuff like that as a teenager on Long Island? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess the first like real underground subculture I I truly like dealt with uh, that I was very fascinated by would be punk. And at the time, you know, I was listening to a lot of bands that were like uh, like Violent Society, The Casualties, you know, things of that nature, uh, subhumans, you know, certain classic stuff that was around that, like, you know, like subhumans and like, you know, older stuff, discharge and things of that nature. And even like the clash and things like just everything was sort of tossed into this punk salad and contemporary things, you know, like the stuff I just mentioned, and even stuff like LES stitches and blank 77, like uh, total like street punk and punk things. I loved all those things. Francid, 
definitely uh you know a gateway into a lot of these things and so punk was like sort of like the first thing that i actually kind of drilled down into like a more of an underground subcultural level you know like i had definitely like like things like metallica and like you know bigger kind of metal like legacy huge black sabbath you know but that was like the first thing that i noticed that like people were i feel like dressing a bit differently participating in like there's like multiple levels here to it you know and there were kids in my high school who were listening to like punk and then also some hardcore and stuff like kill your idols on long island was like such a big deal uh and especially to me because they were really like the gateway into hardcore which would be i think the subgenre that ended up changing my life probably the most in a certain way but it's all part of one progression you know um and Kill Your Idols would play with like all of these bands as well. That's what was super cool about them. Like you'd see Kill Your Idols with like fucking two man advantage and violent society and you know, the casualties one weekend. And then they would go play with like Vision of Disorder and Sound Majority, like another weekend, you know? So to me, I found them to be a, a real linchpin for me musically. And at the time, like the internet didn't exist. <laughs> so the the things that were really um i was just tr you know trying to understand things from like older kids in school who i thought were like cool and were into like skateboarding and shit like that and also just me my friend josh my friend nick uh and just trying to like you know kind of find the shit and be into kind of like something a bit different finding your identity right so punk was like this really important thing but it felt like anytime i really wanted to do stuff i went to some shows on the island but they were really like sort of like scattershot just like kind of whatever i accept that ground zero ground zero uh in belmore had more of a consistent presence mm -hmm. and so i got to see a lot of good and weird fucked up shows there um and that was great but then i started really understanding what like hardcore was and like new york hardcore was you know um and it was obviously blowing up and like the first band and i i, I tend to just like like heavier music like i thought the deftones was always kind of cool like for whatever reason i thought that that was cool but i never really can like connected that to like further subculture you know like i said punk for whatever reason was the first thing i really drilled down when i discovered the fact that there was like a band called Vision of Disorder from fucking Belmore and mm -hmm. Merrick, mm -hmm. right? Who could draw like a thousand people to a show. I was like shocked. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and they were so heavy. And I thought that Tim Williams was just like the coolest motherfucker on planet Earth, honestly. Um, and like the Still EP and then, then went into the Paint Drop EP. That was just, that just changed. I was just like, this is the craziest shit I've ever heard. And I think at a certain point it was like that. And then it was like this arms race of like trying to find shit that was more heavier and crazier. I remember just going to Utopia, uh, which was a like head shop metal, weird fucked up place in, yeah. in, uh, in Hicksville. Right. Yeah. And right, that right, was you, like, you could walk there from the Hicksville train station. Exactly. Yeah. And I would go over there and I would just try and like look for shit. I'm like, this looks punk. Is it cool or does it suck? You know, I have no idea. But like I randomly picked up Ass Suck by like mm. one 
one of the dudes there recommending like, hey, if you're looking for like, I think I picked up an Oi Polloi record and he was like, try this. And it was a little over my head because I was really young. And then later on, I came back to kind of understand it a little bit more, you know? Um, but yeah, and then what was interesting about like vision of disorder and things of that nature was that it was right next to me. Punk felt like it was happening on St. Mark's Place a lot to me, like the biggest, the baddest, the coolest mm -hmm. shows, all that kind of stuff. It felt very Manhattan, very city to me in a lot of ways. Uh, hardcore, though, like Long Island hardcore was right next door to my house, you know, and that was very impactful to me, you know. So Sound Majority, VOD, like all these bands are from like here, you know what I mean? Like from like right next door to me you know and at the time like you know i honestly wasn't really that into metal i felt like metal was not too smart or cool at the moment you know i was really into like punk and hardcore and understanding those sorts of things you know uh because i was kind of too young and dumb to realize they were really one and the same in a certain way you know but it's just kind of like how i was hanging out you know what i mean and just the social circles and again like you couldn't just like try and make these connections with an algorithm or some shit. I'm just kind of like going through it. It's like me and uh, Tommy from Saw Majority used to work at Da Vinci Tattoo in Wanta. And uh, and it was next to a comic book store called Collector's Comics. And that was like my world. I would go, I'd look at the window in Da Vinci and Tommy would post all the hardcore flyers mm -hmm. for like all of the, the hardcore shows. And that's like how I knew how to like do some shit. You know, and then I would go, I would go and like, you know, start meeting people and friends and stuff. And it became that thing where it became more of a social circle as well, you know. Um, and that's how I really started understanding more of like scene, community, that kind of vibe. And I always wanted to listen to a lot of different kinds of music. That was always like important to me and uh, and trying to understand a lot of different stuff. So. I was just trying to find these new little worlds and the fact that they were like more in my backyard was really interesting. I was like, whoa, you know, I honestly just didn't think it feels kind of silly to say it in the world that we live in now, you know, where everyone kind of knows about different things or whatever uh, more easily because of the internet. But I just like literally didn't know this shit was happening really like two towns over, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I happen to be from like a hotbed of, of underground music, you know, like, I remember once I figured out like who Glassjaw was, I was like, we eat at the same Applebee's, you know, <laughs> like just completely ridiculous shit. So, yeah. So that was really like one of the more, that was sort of like the formative sort of aspect of like me really liking like heavier music and stuff like that. And in, in with it, you know, came a little bit of emo and stuff like that, or like some of those bands, like, you know, like a lifetime or saves a day uh even things like that you know because that was really in that milieu too and shows at that time were so crazy i saw madball with catch 22 and fucking like i think that you know you could find all of these old show flags where you're like wow this doesn't quote unquote make sense but those are the shows that were happening you know um yeah and it was uh it was really fun and exciting and it felt like no boundaries. And I was a big stickler for like, I, I would go to like, see like Bane. And then I would go see some like crazy band, like Erase Arada. And like this, this dude, Ren, had, he he used to throw shows in his basement. I saw Against Me in a basement, you know, <laughs> awesome. like on Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, 
uh, I saw at the drive-in at a bowling alley with some majority on Long Island. Like I, <laughs> we got stories, but I was always willing to kind of cross those lines and go to lots of different kinds of shows. And that's really where I met a lot of my best buds because they were, they would do a lot of those things as well, you know, kind of go see a lot of stuff and a lot of different kinds of music, heavy music, cool, cool underground shit, you know? Um, and then I'd say that the, as I got a little bit older, that also changed into me just really discovering the fact that like, I love to dance, man. <laughs> I like to dance. I like culture. And I liked the idea of like going up to when I really understood like what post-punk was. And I was like, oh, this is dance music for punk people. And then, you know, even harder stuff like industrial and shit it just clicked, like I got it. And when I was like 18, you know, 19, that's when I was like old enough to kind of sneak into bars in the city and like experience all of that, you know? And I have a lot of that to go to my best friend, Nikki Sneakers, shout out to Nikki. Um, she brought me to a lot of those places and was into that kind of stuff before I was, it was her my friend Dan Garvey and uh and I was just like enamored with it you know because it was a different mode of expression of physical expression I love the hardcore pylon the sing-along the, the the pit the like the energy of a hardcore show or a metal show when it just you you know it's going to explode is one of the more exciting things in the world I think it's just wild especially if you've never seen it before I was like I don't know how people can act this way I had no point of reference for it but as soon I was very like addicted to it but in a way it's like a different thing when you hear the right song in a club and everybody starts dancing and the movement is crazy and you've had a couple of drinks and you're like huh. this young fucking horny freak from Long Island you're like yo this is ill <laughs> so um yeah, so that was kind of, in a nutshell, quickly, kind of how I, I, I went through it. But I was just never, uh, I guess, I never had like this crazy allegiance to anything in particular, except that I loved underground music and art, and I wanted to like experience a lot of it. And it tended to kind of go a little bit stranger and heavier than I think my, my some of my friends liked or not you know what i mean like some people i feel like maybe stayed in one place a little bit more than i did and some people didn't and some of those folks are you know my best buds and some of them you know have gone by the wayside and different things as we all grow you know what i mean but like it's just part of like a overall biography like a history and it was so unplanned that i had no intention to do what i do or anything like that i just like this shit, you know so uh that's that's pretty much how I kind of like went through a lot of that. And, you know, my ideal night for a long time would just be show, then club. Perfect. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. that's it. You know? A, a different definitely a different lifestyle. Um 
than I'm used to, man. I'm more of the show and then sleep uh, uh, lifestyle type of person, man. <laughs> it, t- it takes all types. But you, there was a lot there, man. Um, I just want to go back quickly to uh, one or sure. two things that you said. You mentioned Kill Your Idols and how big that was in Long Island. I had to laugh because I know um, firsthand, and uh, with, with all due respect to those guys, because uh, multiple people I went to high school with had the Kill Your Idols face uh, icon tattooed, like on their leg or their yeah, arm or whatever. Still, yeah. Um, one of whom was a recent guest, John Berg. I don't know if this, this this episode will be out before or after that one, but it'll be out very soon. He he sang in the Solidarity Pact and Contra. Yeah, I love John. And, I, okay. I, I've seen a lot of Contra shows. In my okay. Life, bro. Okay. I, well, I I, <laughs> I figured there was a little bit of a crossover with some of the stuff you were talking about there. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, all all of the stuff that like John did and, you know, um, a very important band for me too, uh, is like my, my best friend, Chris Enriquez, you know, on the might of princes, you know, huge for me, you know, and they were just such a unique blend of passion and heaviness and melody. Like I was just so blown away by, by bands like, like that and like a cave in or things of that nature were also just like, whoa the musicianship, the, what you could sort of do there, you know, just like I was being blown away by things like integrity, you know, where I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, like, like it, it's getting so metallic and I didn't really realize it. Cause I'm just like, it's all kind of under the banner of hardcore, but that, you know, you could easily call integrity a metal band and to be totally I clicked back in where I was like, I listened to, I think it was like kind of more like, yeah, so people call like the butt rock death metal, you know, like Wolverine Blues era Entombed and stuff like that. That <laughs> that kind of shit was like way. It was like stupid enough for like all the hardcore kids to understand and get into. I think, you know. But it, it's just more. It was more of a cultural difference of what I was into in terms of being on the island at the time, you know. But when I understood it, like musically, I was just like, oh, I get it. This is where all this shit is really coming from. And like, this is the exchange here musically. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm down with this shit, too. This shit is fucking great, you know, and so on and so forth. And so it's kind of like I just just trying to unlock doors. But yeah, Kill Your Idol is also like, I think people play a large part in the journey, at least for me, too, because like, again, there was like no Internet. Right. So people like, you know, uh like Gary and Paul and like from, from Kelly Idols are always just so kind to me and like were cool to like just talk about music with like this shitty little kid, you know? Uh, and just also like Ron Grimaldi who, uh, you know, used to like, you know, hang out with them also sing and, you know, death cycle and stuff. Uh, Ron's amazing and just re- really like, you got to check this out and blah, 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 blah. And I'd like do it, <laughs> you know? Huh. And uh, even, you know, later in life too, like, you know, Artie from, you know, Vitus, who's now my business partner, but, you know, Chris from On The Might, Artie, who's in Mind Over Matter, Era Type 11, a lot of bands, uh, you know, like I learned so much from both of them, you know, just about like the area of music, different things. And, you know, they taught me a whole lot. You know, um, and that was kind of like a lot of the ways that I learned, you know, uh, about shit. It was just kind of like through people. And obviously the Internet kind of grew up while I was growing up in a way. So by the time, like, I think Facebook came out, like when I was a junior in college or something like that. 
So I think that gives you the time point. So by that, I was like, that's when it sort of started, I guess, you know, like a different way of kind of uh, engaging with information and shit. So, yeah. yeah. But for me, a lot yeah. of those people were like, they were like the oracles. It was like, I got to know what's up. <laughs> well, and they definitely took the time to tell me things. You talk about um, uh, going to college and, and you know, we, we covered a lot of Long Island right there. But you said you moved to Brooklyn when you were 19? Yeah, I, I moved right around. I believe it was like I was like 19 or I think maybe 20. But okay. uh, I went to Hofstra University. Um, and it's a while ago now, man. But I'm 39. Yikes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, I went to Hofstra University. I graduated, uh, a, I think maybe a semester early or whatever. But I was like making that transition right as I was like kind of ending school a little bit and I was kind of going back and forth and like, you know, I, I spent so much time in the city as well at that point, you know, I was just my, like a lot of my friends were a, a little bit over there. And then a lot of my friends of over time, a lot of us just ended up in, in, in the city a little bit more, whether it was like for work or for musical pursuits or all sorts of stuff. It was just like, that's where we kind of wanted to be a little bit. So, that was kind of how that sort of went. And, and I kind of was very enamored with the, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere kind of <laughs> scenario. You know, I was like, all right, cool. I want to go. I thought, honestly, that I was going to go and get like a PhD. I didn't think that uh, I studied philosophy and sociology at Hofstra University. Shout out. Um, and I had a great experience there and I thought that I would take some time. I didn't want to just like go from reading a lot of books and doing that kind of work to doing that sort of all over again. Uh, I wanted to kind of just like live a bit, you know, and then life took me way far away from that in certain ways. But, uh, yeah. So I just kind of stayed out. <laughs> I stayed at the club, I guess. I, 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 I never left. And, well, uh, you, you certainly did, I, yeah. And that's how, you know, it, it kind of like ended up that way. You, you certainly did stay at the club um, in a philosophical sense. Uh, so now moving out to Brooklyn, that was a while back. I mean, I, I remember um, I was in, uh, you know, old bands of mine like BioLich back in like 2003, 4, 5 playing shows in mm -hmm. Brooklyn when we kind of felt like there was something very new happening in Brooklyn in terms of um, what would be called gentrification now maybe, but like a lot a lot more art, a lot more music, a lot, a lot of people from Long Island moving out there, like you said. You've kind of been there and seen a lot of transition and and stood the test of time, even now through COVID. I was wondering if I could just get your, your perspective on, on just um, seeing the art and music and culture of Brooklyn change over the last... Uh, close to 20 years yeah i mean um shit uh like there's uh a lot of a lot to say about that um May, well maybe I believe like so here, here's my my feeling right okay. so um i uh i think okay so when i moved out there you know uh there was like that kind of explosion with like yeah yeah yes and the rapture and tv on the radio and that sort of like 
the strokes, that sort of rock sort of explosion that sort of happened. And a lot of it was centered around Brooklyn, right? And that was kind of the sort of epicenter of like that stuff. And there was a lot of like rock and roll parties, like post-punk parties that were happening and also like electro clash stuff. So there was like this sort of melding at the time of like guitar music and club music. It wasn't like so separated now where it's like, you go see a show and then it's like the techno club. It was always, it was a little bit more one in the same, uh, you know, but I, uh, you know, it, that was really cool to me. And I wanted to participate in that. I thought that was really cool. And basically, yeah, like I, I thought that was great, but I still would go to like hardcore shows because I, love them you know so there was also like this this fucking crazy lump that a bunch of friends of mine lived in called crouton's house of god i just literally saw like insane bands in there i believe like i saw death cycle in there with kill your idols i think i saw rival mob in there i saw walter schreifels play solo there but it wasn't it was this crazy time where none of this stuff really it wasn't fucking like professional you know like you'd go to see you know this band play like a band like you know like yeah 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 would play it just like at a bar that had like a bullshit system you know like it all kind of came from like kind of just artists and nothing and the the rents were cheap back then and it was a little bit and and there was a lot of warehouse space uh, on the water a lot of like freaky weird shit where people were just like nine people living in a place that they halfway built out themselves you know <laughs> yeah, um, that's yeah. what like that's what like fucking croutons was and in a lot of ways that's what like you know a lot of other scenes like in san diego and in providence and shit like that they weren't that different from brooklyn it's just like brooklyn like or like north brooklyn right or like that part of it because you know, there was just space and youth and like a, a wanting to like express, you know, and good things culturally tend to happen when those things kind of can marry to one another. Um, I think that you saw that in the Lower East Side and like, even though it was, I, I feel like a bit more dangerous, but at the same time, it was like, there was space, there was cheap, there was like outlets for certain things and a lot of things sort of cropped up. So I think it was a very like fertile time for shit. But what soon sort of ended up, I, it, to me at least happening was like, it was a little bit homogenous. Like it be, Brooklyn became almost like a brand for that kind of like, I guess, indie rock or rock in a lot of ways, you know? And then a lot of the bands I had mentioned, I thought were fucking great and unique but then it became a little bit of like a like when anything gets popular you know it's like let's like now play by this playbook a little bit you know yeah, yeah. and uh without me uh you know and then it, basically in my opinion a lot of, a lot of things just sort of became like bullshitty it just <laughs> to me wasn't very fucking good you know uh, which is fine, you know what I mean? Nothing lasts forever, babe. But I also felt like there was not many places and outlets for like heavier music at all. Like even when like the rise of things like, like let's say like a Pitchfork or a Stereogum or all these like 
blogs, you know, for black, for, that was like the, what was going on then, right? How people would find out about music. It was like this exciting new thing, but it was like very partisan in a way. And that really fucking bothered me, you know, cause I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think that like, you know, like carcass is as, as important as the rapture in my life. They are, you know, I'm a fucking weirdo. I get it. But like, if we're evaluating art here, maybe we should like have that, you know? And so I feel like that was very evident to me. And what was interesting is that there weren't a lot of places to play. And I bet you, you play with your bands in some weird fucking spots, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we right. And, and that was, you know, it, again, like none of this shit was like very pro feeling like it is now, you know? Um, you had to kind of like know about shit and know bands and like kind of be in, in the mix a little bit. So to me, that was what, um, uh, you know, like what I initially saw and over time there were certain spots like Fontana's, the Charleston, certain spots that were like, they weren't really owned by people who cared so much, but like there were people who worked there that cared a bit and, you know, you kind of like were like okay cool like uh i wanted to start doing shows or participating in that in those cultures again because i just honestly i had kind of like a tragic thing happen where my best friend passed away and i hadn't been doing anything in that realm at all like playing doing anything right i'd never been in a band before i had never done any of that shit, and i felt like in my like mid twenties, I kind of like lost a little bit of being in touch with that sort of part of myself, you know, and you're trying to establish yourself a little bit as a human, like, Hey, I need to like work and make some money. And like, we have bills and responsibilities, you know, it's like that early adult moment. And, uh, I realized how much I had like, kind of like lost of my, I think just a central part of like my being and like what I thought make, makes me tick, you know? So I kind of gave up doing uh, a job in advertising and shit that I was doing. And I, I decided to just kind of like work in bars and start DJing and, 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 and like just start making something different of my life. And, uh, and that was a big, you know, proponent of, why I started doing the things I do. I never thought I'd end up the way I am now, to be quite <laughs> honest, not even fucking close, you know? Um, like, I don't think anyone really plans on their, you know, one of their fucking best friends in the world passing away. And, you know, honestly, this is probably the first time I've said this like on like a record or whatever the fuck, but a lot of people ask me, you know, how I did stuff, but why? is more that it was more like, Hey, you know, when she passed, when Jody passed away, that was her name, uh, Jody Tilton, I realized like, you know, the more important things or the times or the relationships I had built were really like through music and shows and just, uh, you know, really, uh, yeah, that was just, like the substance of what we really was, you know? So 
you know, like that kind of changed me fundamentally as like a person and it changed kind of the course of my life, you know, because then I started really kind of like getting back into a lot of things. And I was, I'd go to shows here and now again, but I really wanted to participate. And that's where and I started Primitive Weapons with Chris and Artie. And that was really like my first real ass band. I just was like, I think that we, uh, I, I should, I think we, we should do something. It was just totally insane. I kind of conned them into playing with me. <laughs> um, and then we, you know, and, and that set the stage for everything to come with Vitus and shit, but it was a heady time, but also, you know, as New York was changing, I kind of like kind of jumped into this midstream of like, cool. And I, you know, I wanted to kind of start putting on this like music that really meant a lot to me and meant a lot and brought me kind of close to a lot of the people like I truly like know and love, you know what I mean? And to like work in something that I kind of gave a shit about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A A lot there, man. I'm sorry for your loss. But it does sound like you did a lot um, in, inspired uh, in a way by it, man. That's that's wild. Um, and, you you, you, you know, be, right before we get into St. Vitus, because I know Primitive Weapons kind of comes first, if I got that right. Oh, um, yeah, it definitely does. That's how I met Artie and the whole thing kind of kicks off, you know? Yeah, you mentioned Chris Enriquez from On the Might of Princes. Uh, On the Might of Princes, just if the listeners want to go back, was a very important Long Island band and kind of like that, that loosely defined post-punk hardcore scene that we had out here um that the john berg episode we went a little bit into that and Artie shepherd was in mind over matter right yeah Artie was in mind over matter bad trip um also era type 11 era type 11 yeah very very yeah. very important bands in their own regard um and he's oh, also super I'm, sick man mind over matter is one of my favorite bands like I, you know when i got into hardcore like people would be like still rocking their shirts and stuff. I was like, what is that? You know what I mean? And then I found out and I realized how influential they were, you know, before my time, but fucking incredible. Uh, Absolutely. Especially big band. um, If you're from a certain generation here on Long Island, uh, definitely. And he's also obviously your business partner um, and another familiar face from the St. Vitus bar. We'd love to talk to him at some point. Um, Oh, you got to. Yeah. But, but, well, while we got you here, though, you, you kind of you gave us some real deep insight there into kind of um, the the inception of you wanting to, to to form a band and be more involved in all that. So you guys did um, in 2011, you put out Shadow Gallery on Prosthetic Records, uh, amongst other releases. And I don't know if you just want to give some recollections on on that band and maybe what it was like having experienced live music and shows and having it been such a big part of your life for so long and kind of finally getting your feet wet in your, I guess, mid-20s at that point. Yeah, it was just kind of like, you know, I experienced that, like, loss in my life, you know? Uh, and... Yeah, it, it just kind of like, it's kind of like, what are the priorities? You know what I mean? I felt like I was kind of bullshit in a way. Like I didn't like how I was living anyway. You know what I mean? And something like that happens and it kind of rocks you a bit. Uh, you, you reassess, right? And then, you know, I kind of had this perspective of like, life's fucking short. I got to do some fucking shit, <laughs> you know? So, uh let me see. Do you want me let Artie? Okay. So I'd known Chris for a long time, Enriquez. 
right? From on the mic. At this point, we known each other for seven, eight years. We're really good friends. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to do shows with my friend Fred. It's going cool. Uh, I really like it. We're trying to shake some shit up in Brooklyn. We're definitely making some waves and uh, under the banner Chronic Youth. It's cool. We're unabashedly, like, not giving one fuck about being brash and eclectic and, like, whatever. You know what I mean? We were just, like, if we're, we're into what we're into. We're into weird electronic music and noise and stoner metal and death metal and whatever. You know what I mean? Like, we're out here just being ourselves. And it was really cool and fun and I was definitely drinking way too much uh, <laughs> and getting really fucked up all the time. But at the same time, it was, it was sort of great to just be in it, you know? Um, and I felt like I was kind of figuring some shit out, like contributing to some stuff, right? And then I'd known Chris for a long time and Chris is the nastiest fucking drummer. He's also in the band Spotlights right now. Uh, for your listeners, is like a really awesome kind of sludgy shoegaze band. Uh, and he's just a fucking phenomenal drummer. And, uh, I, you know, I was like, Chris, let, you know, we had been going to Bar Matchless uh, over in Greenpoint a lot, a lot. <laughs> and Chris is like, yo, you know who that is? I'm like, who is who is that? And it's like, yo, that's Artie from Mind Over Matter. I was like, what, son, that's crazy. He's like, yeah, he's a bartender here. I was like, shit. So Chris introduced me to Artie, you know? And so I was like, Chris, I want to start a fucking heavy band, like a hardcore band, you know, like, but, but like our style of hardcore, like some home cooking and like I had Jody on my mind a little bit. And I'm like, I'd never done that before. And I was like, I, I, I want to make something. And I have a lot, a lot to sort of say and a lot that I, I really shouldn't have kept been keeping inside so much, but I needed a vehicle. I felt like I, I needed that. And luckily, you know, Chris suggested Artie and, and, you know, Artie was down to play with us and, and really down to play with Chris, you know, I don't think he knew, you know, nobody knew what I was going to do, <laughs> you know, like not even me, but uh, we started writing some music and then, you know, uh, Eric came on board to really round out the, the, the whole thing. And, yeah, and, and Justin Scardy was playing second guitar and like we, you know, made a three song seven inch with uh, Alex Newport from Fudge Tunnel and Nail Bomb fame huh. who had recorded some shit with fucking Artie uh, before he recorded one of Artie's bands. I believe it was Gay for Johnny Depp, which was this crazy screamo <laughs> band that Artie was in. Uh, which is really fucking good and hysterical. <laughs> I, 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 English people love them, by the way. Like English for what, especially, you know, they have senses of humor out there. But they do, they do. Um, yeah, yeah. So we started doing our thing, and that like just that changed everything for me in a lot of ways because one, we came out of it. We did this recording. It was all to tape, everything to tape. Like this dude was cutting tape. It was crazy. A shout out to Alex Newport. What a fucking killer dude. And he was just telling, I just was like pumping him for stories about like Max Cavalera, like the whole time, you know, because Sepultura was such a major factor for me uh, growing up, especially being, you know, of South American 
like lineage, you know? Like if you're South American and you don't like Sepultura, man, and you're into this shit, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, you know? Like I, I look up to those guys so much. Um, and he was just super gracious and cool. And like, I just wanted to make something awesome. And this that came out and I think we saw that we had like a band on our hands, you know what I mean? Like we could do something kind of interesting and it got some really good attention. And then we signed to Prosthetic and we made some records and did a lot of cool shit as a band. And then in the meantime, Artie and George, my other business partner, who both worked at Mattress were like, yeah, we're gonna start a bar. We, we wanna really start a bar. And then they did. And that, and that was like, oh, cool, man, you know? And at the time I was just bartending and just fucking around, like doing my thing, you know, booking some, booking shows and and DJing and just, you know, making ends meet like that, but also having just like mad fun, just drinking like my way through everything, <laughs> which I don't necessarily recommend per se as like a full on lifestyle, but yeah, I was, I was a party animale, but I was just doing it, you know? Um, and uh, Artie, I think really saw the fact that I was like kind of on to something in terms of like what I was booking, how I was doing shit, whatever. And they wanted this place to be like, uh, like rock metal, like a heavier music place, you know? And a lot of like, you know, former clubs were talked about like Coney Island time and Lamours and, you know, uh, brownies and like other things like that, you know? Yeah. And I was like, dude, that sounds really cool. But they wanted it to be a bar with like a couple of shows, you know? And when I saw the place as it was being built, like the first time I ever went into St. Vitus was after a primitive weapons practice. And Artie was like, yo, you want to see what it's like looking like, you know? And I remember walking in and it was just like the skeleton of the bar, like the frame of it. Like there was no wood on it. It was just like that. And then like, I saw the layout and I was like, are you guys putting a stage back there? And he was like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, like, yeah, we want to do stuff every now and again, you know, but we kind of wanted to be a bar and whatever, you know, again, like none of my <laughs> shit was really planned so much, man, yeah. you know? Um, but as they were ready to open it up, you know, they sat me down and they were like, all right, we want you to like, work here but we want you to book the shows and you're going to get a tuesday night bartending shift and i was you know I, I, it's funny because at the time i tell people this but i was like shook you know because way up to get like some good bartending shifts in new york you know you're making some decent money right and for the first time in a while i was i, I was like for probably my adult life at like this point like i'm like 26 years old you know I'm making some bucks and I had left like what could have been a potentially lucrative career because I was like, yeah, fuck this shit. And like pretty rash impulse, but spiritually right, you know? Um, and I was just like, all right, cool, man. Well, yeah, you know, I, I went home and I talked to my girlfriend at the time, Marissa who's now my wife. And I was like, look, man, like, I don't know what, what should I do? <laughs> you know? And she was like, yeah, you got to fucking do this shit. Like, go for it. We'll figure it out. You know? And so I did. And I was like, all right, I'm starting for like the Tuesday night bartending shift and, you know, a couple of bucks to, to, to book the place. And like, 
here we go, you know? And that was the beginning of like what Team Vitus sort of was and, and and started as just a really a passionate place, you know, that was about like metal, hardcore, punk, rock music, like all that stuff started by people who are, you know, George is from Brooklyn, Artie's from the island, so am I. And uh, I'm, I'm the youngest one now. Um, and, and always was, I was like kind of the kid, which is funny now that I'm pushing 40, but <laughs> yeah. And so I, I fucking, you know, we started doing shows, you know, and after I'd say six months, it, it just, it started revealing itself what this place should sort of be. And then, uh, I started doing well with like booking stuff and like the, the place, you know, it's just run by people who are of this, you know, Artie is of this, George is of this of underground fucking music and we had a perspective you know and we were unwavering in what we wanted to do and like i was saying before the people who really wanted that kind of culture in a like a cool environment that was sort of literally made for it they gravitated towards the bar because there was nothing like that that was really like top to bottom yeah, yeah. trying to be what saint vitus is now you know, 100%. and, and that really kind of coalesced with the fact that now people were starting, you know, there was a lot of interesting heavy music being made and now people were starting to pay attention to it more. So even though it was sort of always happening, but even stuff like Brandon, who Stosi wrote for Pitchfork, Fred Pizarro, right for Brooklyn Vegan, like people from these publications and like different things they all of a sudden like you're starting to shine a light on some of these artists right and this has nothing to do with us but all of a sudden there's like a shift you know and now like even williamsburg as a place where like there's more like established venues you know what i mean people are choosing to play brooklyn instead of the city yeah things started to change and for heavy music it started to change where you know fuck man you know Paul bears next to fucking, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, uh, record came out that year, you know, like a Beyonce record, you know, but there, and to me, that's the way art should be. It should all be put in, in, in one realm to be sort of like looked at and either appreciated or not, or we can all fight about it. I don't give a shit, but for a long time, it didn't feel like that was the case for heavy music and, uh, I think those people really like helped it along uh, from that standpoint. And then we were like this conduit for it in New York. And then it just kept growing and growing. It, we were like a tuning fork that just harmonized with it, you know? And that's something you can't, I can say this now, like looking back on it, but who the fuck knew? You know what I mean? Like no idea, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I just knew what I liked, you know? Um, yeah, and if, if I could interject at this point, um, sure, yeah, there, yeah. there's a lot there, and we're talking about the origins of, of the St. Vitus Bar. We do have a few Patreon questions, our Patreon uh, listeners, and, and one of them is a multi-part question I think would be really good here. This is um, longtime supporter Panic Chords. 
says, hi, Dave. Uh, Vitus looks great. I believe he's an international listener. So he says, Vitus looks great, and I hope to get, get to visit in person one day and maybe even get to see Primitive Weapons play. Uh, wonder if during the early stages of planning to establish Vitus, was there any single moment conclusion when you realized it was definitely a viable business proposition and you were going to commit and give it a shot? What issues might have made you think twice about going for it? Uh, and what was the hardest part of opening the place in terms of securing finance, marketing, regulatory hurdles, things like that, and the hardest part about keeping it open? So there, there's a lot there. I'll kind of let you take the reins. And we will remind the listeners, you already said that you kind of came in a little bit later after Artie had established uh, the location, at least. Yeah, yeah. Artie and George really built that place out, you know, and Justin, like, just to 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 what it is, right? So. They did a, these are two gentlemen who are lifelong bartenders. They understand what a bar needs to really like work and make it great, you know? And although they had never owned a place at that time, they knew everything that needed to happen to make the spot rock, you know what I mean? From that point of view. And, uh, and then, you know, establishing the business and stuff like that. Like I wasn't really privy to a lot of that until I became a partner in the business like years later. Um, but, you know, uh, there were obviously hurdles, but there were ways to, you know, like kind of, you just like learn, you know, and that side of the bar operations, they were already really well versed in. And it was like, almost like, you know, they were like a top 10 draft pick, you know, like moving up to the league, like you knew that they knew how to play the game, you know? Uh, And maybe that's the way that they felt about me in a different, in a different capacity of the business, you know? Mm. Um, I think that, you know, the thing that I wanted to, to respond to most was saying that like, you know, the business plan was really just to open a bar, like a good bar. But what ended up happening is like, it became (laughs) more of a venue because it the the scene i think needed outlet for for playing and it also was just such a great way to get people in and finding that balance is a a continual thing you know um but we liked you know it quickly you know where the location is and stuff like that and just drawing people down there it felt like you know you have to let the business sort of dictate like the the space for the location and how the business works if you see something working you have to kind of follow your nose you know like if the bar was doing better than the shows were we might not have vitus the way that it is today you know and that would be fine i think because it means it would be a really busy cool bar you know who doesn't love that that's okay you know it's just you know i feel like they knew that it was going to be a component but nobody knew exactly how dominant of a component, you know, you have to try things out to sort of see, you know, what that is. But I think that once you saw that the shows were a driving and steadying force for the business, that's when, you know, certain moves were made. And I was brought into the partnership group, which is like amazing, definitely changed my life. Um, And also, you know, just, it was a good uh, scenario to, just keep growing this business because we had a lane, you know, and when it becomes clear like that, that's great. You know, you have to follow that. And like, you know, as they say, you know, give the people what they want, man, you know, 
Like, yeah. all right, cool. So I think that's it. And then, you know, maintaining the place or keeping it open for so long, I guess, I think that was a part of it was just, I think it's being kind of true to the mission. You know what I mean? We never, uh, you know, I, in my opinion, we've never really flipped on some like really crazy corny shit. We've just tried to <laughs> maintain doing what we do, you know, and, and like being this home for a lot of different, you know, subcultural groups in New York who are making underground music that's amazing with obviously like the specialty being heavier music, metal, punk, hardcore, you know, like those things definitely drive it. But I think we have a lot of great synth and post-punk and industrial shows and, you know, rock shows and a lot of different things in between. And I think when you look at like the history of like great clubs, like I'm a nerd, man, like I'll look at like, old CDs, calendars and stuff. And now that's kind of been stuff that like people pass around, you know, like, look at, look at this fucking, you know, this month of shows at Sundance from 1990. How crazy is that? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. Like shit like that. And that shit's really inspiring to me. Cause I'm like, it's never homogenous. There's always like some one, like weird, real freaky thing. Like it's Brockett and Jim blossoms. And then like, Alice in Chains opening or something like totally insane, you know, like, I feel like that is, uh, I'm looking for that eclecticism. And I'm also looking for within the booking too to make the place like really cool to a bunch of different kinds of people like I, I you know, will I, I I'd like to think I know a bunch of the music that like you like, and I hope that you see the Vitus calendar and you're like, Oh, there's like a couple of shows a month for me in there, you know? Absolutely. But yeah. we can't exist on just that either, you know? I hope that somebody who's like, oh, you know, my favorite kind of music, so I really like more like synth-driven stuff. I hope that that person looks on our calendar and is like, oh, here's a couple of shows for me in the next, like, you know, six weeks that I want to go to. And then the punk dude, and then the hardcore dude, and then, then the whomever whomever wants to sh show up and be interested in whatever the, those cultures there are, you know? So that's that's what I'm trying to build all the time, you know? and creating that uh is like one of my favorite parts of the job for sure um yeah th that actually speaks to there was a quote that i took from when you were on the um if i ruled the world podcast you said uh, realize uh those moments that aren't for yourself in terms of booking music that ne isn't necessarily your favorite style as a listener or as a fan um you know you're more you're more curating uh, a whole wider experience, which I think you guys have done very well. And you talked a little bit about changes and adapting as things as things went on to reveal themselves to be more of a music venue. Uh, Dave Gladding, Dave, if you're still with us, I believe you had a, a question pertaining to like the layout of the place that I didn't even remember this. Yeah, I uh, I remember like I, I was always curious about this. I remember way back when you guys first opened, I went to a show there. I can't remember who I saw, but you you had like some seating in this in the room with the stage like i can't remember if it was yeah. like, like a like booze or love seats or something yeah yeah yeah. the booths the famous booths oh man if you were at vitus at the booths you're an og <laughs> nice patting myself on the back over here yeah dude you're you're for real dude congratulations thank you what? uh so like what what was the deal with them like what what inspired you were they there when you guys moved in uh did you build them no yourselves? they were custom built for the bar because it was a thought that that could also be seating as like a bar you know what i mean okay. so people could go back there and just kind of hang maybe a dj would play or whatever but soon they just became 
very dangerous props <laughs> for for people, you know? So um, that's sort of what it was, yeah. But they were like custom made for the space. And, and it's just funny because they really were just places for people to stand on at a certain point. And yeah. we're, we're like, wow, all right, this is, we got to get this shit out of here. <laughs> you know, after... I, think, I think I remember that, like seeing somebody like with a video camera or something like standing on the back of the, of the, uh, the couch or something. Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of how that all happened, you know, cause it was, it was that thought again, like if we wanted max space for like shows, you would never have done that. That's like a telltale sign that like we had no fucking clue <laughs> is that is those fucking couches, as you'd say. All right. That's uh that, that answers my question. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was a funny, um, uh, more like a engineer minded question or more, more, um, uh, contractor minded question, man. Um, yeah, for but, sure. But now obviously you guys at, at, after a certain point realized that you had, um, uh, a lot on your hands. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's a, a few more Patreon questions I'm going to ask when we wind down just about in terms of, um, like the expect. Yeah, yeah. The ex ask away. We got no, I'm a no limit soldier. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for you. I love it. Shout, shout to Silk the Shocker right now, man. Let's um, go. Uh, but, but we, we have those. I want to ask you the one that I want to ask about, and I got a little tidbit of this from the Kerrang article because I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, although I do respect the Descendants, the punk band. Um, mm -hmm. And there's an infamous story, I believe, where a festival they were performing at got rained out and they brought a huge crowd of people to St. Vitus when they performed. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, like we've had just so much crazy shit happen, you know, like uh, throughout this. But yeah, basically, you know, the Descendants, the way that happened was Riot Fest, was they were playing riot fest and uh with a, a ton of bands you know and basically there was a storm and uh like a like a thunderstorm so they canceled the whole festival because it was outside um and so there's this thunderstorm and you know Artie is friends with hot water music who also play that evening and justin skirty and dan ozzy were hanging out at said festival. And I had asked Artie if Hot Water Music could play, like he's old friends with them, right? So I was like, what if we got Hot Water Music to do like a fucking secret show? That would be pretty fucking sweet. And I was like, Artie, ask your fucking friends, dude, that you toured with in like, you know, 1991 or whatever the fuck. And uh, he did, but they, they were like, oh no, like, you know, it, it's just gonna be too tough with the schedule, you know? So lightning strikes, you know, and fucking, you know, uh, yeah, like they start talking about where could we play, you know, and Justin was there and he was like, yo, Vitus, like, let's go. And like RDA was like, oh, you know, Hot Water talked to Artie and they're like, oh, maybe we can make it happen, blah, blah, blah. So it was really between those folks, you know, I had like left to go home. <laughs> because I was supposed to go out to dinner with my girl and some friends. Uh, and another band called Judah was going to play that evening. Like this was like, whatever, you know, and the descendants then heard about this at the festival and were like, yo, could we play as well? <laughs> you know, and they were headlining this thousands of person. I don't know what the cap was festival. And so 
it was like, okay, cool. Like, let's like, we're, you know, Artie was like, yeah, like, fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. And like, talk to the other bands. And we're like, look, you're going to have to, Judah, you're going to have to play after these guys. And they're like, what's happening? They're Italian, like from Italy. And they were like, they're like, what? They're going to, are you serious? You know, <laughs> like, uh, and so basically they just, started loading in like they just drove from like north brooklyn it was by the waterfront to you know um uh to vitus and just started loading in and all of a sudden i get like 70 text messages like is it true question mark like all this like crazy shit you know and i'm like w i'm like what are you talking about and apparently the festival riot fest tweeted out that oh Descendants and Hot Water Music are playing at St. Vitus. Like, you should go. So, like, all these people were super bummed out who cannot see their favorite fucking bands, right? Because of a thunderstorm. Some of whom have traveled from faraway places now are descending upon St. Vitus. Like, <laughs> like fucking insanity, right? And so I'm, I, I, I like literally was taking a cab home i get all these text messages i go upstairs i'm like yo i'm i'm like i i i can't go to dinner you know mars is gonna fucking she looks like she's gonna stab me and i was like i was like this is what's happened she's like yo you gotta go <laughs> so i get back into the cab and i was like you got to take me right back from where i just came from and as i was going down Manhattan Avenue, there was just like hundreds of people walking, some running to St. Vitus. By the time I got there, there was probably 1200 people outside. What? Uh, yeah, it was fucking insane. And I, I was like, if there was one night that St. Vitus was ever going to get shut down, that would have been the, that would have been it. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, that would have been it easy, man. And uh, it was very stressful. But at the same time, somehow by some fucking miracle we fucking pulled it off and it and it happened and it was fucking cool you know uh it was amazing but like yeah you know i don't know we get lots of phone calls for like yo if we're gonna do this small venue thing and or pull off something last minute or kind of crazy like all right cool like i'm like the guy i like drop in i'm like you know like in like like an action movie or like a war movie where like <laughs> Like, you know, shit's going bad and like shit's blowing up. And uh, I'm like the old grizzled veteran who's like, come on, kid, you're going to get yourself killed. You know, and I like shoot four yeah. guys and I pull you out of the foxhole. I'm like, let's go. Let's play like, the show. That's kind of me. Yeah, I just <laughs> drop into the war zone and we're, we're going to figure it out. You we're know, gonna, we're going to get the um, show going one way or another. Yeah, dude. But like, we've had a lot of crazy shit like that. And it's awesome. I mean, I, I love it. Like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes, like, I like it to be organized, but, like, also, I like fucking with people and surprising people and doing weird things or whatever. You know, even this past week, you know, we had a last-minute which was fucking great, you know? And then, you know, with only three weeks to go, you know, before the show, we announced Matt Pike's first-ever, you know, uh, solo show on the East Coast, you know? All that shit gets me fucking amped. And also, like, you know, flying out like spy for their first ever New York City play. Like all that shit gets me fucking geeked, you know? Like I, I wanna just like put more uh put more things in the record books, you know? 
Absolutely. Like that's what I'm, I'm into a, a lot, you know, and, and to keep things fresh, you know, for people as well, you know, that I, I've always try, you know, as much as I can. Fair enough. Man. And with a community of a lot of people who also help and do really cool things, you know, I, I'm more, I, my role is to facilitate. I, I do a bunch of it, but I also help facilitate a lot. You know, there's been a lot of people who have been really cool with bringing ideas and, you know, shows or very passionate about, you know, a certain thing. And, you know, I like helping those people too, like achieve it in the right way. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. There, there's um, a big community around St. Vitus. Um, and now I'm going to, speaking of our community, our Patreon community, there's just two other people here. I want to get to before we wrap up. Um, one of whom is oh, a, yeah, uh, a past guest, Hank Steamer um, from Rolling Stone. Hank. Uh, yeah. I love fucking Hank is one of them, man. Yeah. Hank, Hank has done a couple of really cool things about it. Yeah, not nice guy. And um since he is on our Patreon, he knows that we made fun of a Rolling Stone article about metal. But uh so he's a he's a he's a good he's um he's a good sport, man. We love you, Hank. And listeners can go back and listen to our our whole episode with Hank from uh, quite some time. It might be time to invite him back. But he says, Yo Dave, Vitus is absolutely one of the greatest things to happen to the New York City music scene during my time here, twenty plus years. It continues to be a godsend. I was going to ask a similar question to Eric's above, but more of a multi parter. And we'll get to Eric's question, um, which I feel I can differentiate, but uh Hank says, um, sorry to ask you to play favorites, but what have been your three most personally meaningful Vitus shows? Um, what have been the three shows that felt the most significant in the club's history so far? And what is your white mm -hmm. whale band, the one that you most hope to book at Vitus in the future, whether an active band or a defunct one? So if, if that first one was personally meaningful shows, three of them. Yeah. Hmm. That's a really difficult one, you know, um, just because there's been a lot of shows that have hit me in different ways, you know? And there's been a lot of things that are frankly like kind of unbelievable like you know like i'm just like wow you know okay you know i've tried to have like a why not us attitude too like okay like i don't know why but sometimes i just get in my head i can do some things or some things happen to us and you know we, we try and create an energy you know um but personal like meaningful uh Okay, uh, I'll I'll have one. Um, Primitive weapons open for mutoid man, and my parents came, uh, and that was the first time that my parents one ever walked into St. Vitus, two ever really saw me perform uh, in Primitive Weapons, and three when I actually like invited them. You know what I mean? Um, and also, I think they just understood what I was doing, what I was building at the time in a way where they might not understand the music per se, but there were two really amazing small business owner, wonderful people who understand when something's going on, you know? And they were just like, holy shit. Because <laughs> uh, it was this crazy sold out show, Mutoid Man's on fucking fire. I'm just like doing my thing playing the bar everything you know and uh i think that was very significant to me because it it's about family you know in a different way uh and that was really important to me um 
shout out to Mutoid Man. That was fucking super cool. So I think that that one was just very significant. Um, playing with Refused, oh, with Primitive Weapons opening was also really amazing. Um, I got to play the show, but Refused was a massive band for me. Uh, and it was just fucking ridiculous. Like, I was just like, what are we living here, you know? I, a lot of that shit, I just can't really qualify a lot. You know, it's just like, man, like, I I just felt amazing about it, you know? Um, and I know these are shows that I've, I've played, you know, but there was something about playing and the whole atmosphere that was amazing. Two of the one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna extend to four. Quicksand on New Year's Eve, which I, I just really experienced it, you know, uh, Artie is really, close friends of Walter Schweifels. We worked on that a, a bit and, and got it to, together. But hearing Phaser and watching everyone just like throw champagne everywhere was fucking incredible. And there's something where you have like a band that you grew up listening to that you're hosting that to me, Walter is just like one of the great songwriters that's come out of uh, Vitus uh, like, sorry, New York in the past many years. And then like to be hosted in Vitus was like ridiculous. And then I would say that one of the ones that really, I think the band that transported me, I think the most is probably Portal, huh. which is kind of funny to say because of their name. <laughs> no pun but, intended. Yeah. No, but uh, I just, Portal at Vitus was just wild, man. That was just something else, you know, and a uh, shout out to Evan from MDF who made that situation and, and, and helped with that, obviously, because he brought them over and then was willing to bring them up to New York, you know, but like, I just felt like I was somewhere else it, anywhere in like, in like space, like I just felt transported. It was crazy. Um, and I haven't had that feeling with many bands, you know, uh, that's definitely one that's up there for me, but I mean, we can go on, man, you know, neurosis hearing like the doorway of Midas, that's not coming out of the stereo. It's coming out of the live room. I mean, there, there's a lot, you know, <laughs> like we could go through, you know, uh, hum, like, I like same thing, like hurt stars by home come out of the live room, not the stereo, you know, there's just, a fucking lot carcass like crazy you know so these are all meaningful for different reasons because i love you know babes in toyland like i love different kinds of music and those are the ones that like are for me you know other people who like different shit they'll have a completely different list like i was saying you know and i'm just trying to do the best stuff i think for like everyone involved, you know, all the taste as much as I can, you know, and not be, uh, it ain't all about me uh, at all, you know, but that's the, 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 a lot of the things that I've like really loved, you know, um, you know, and I could tell you about like three shows I saw in the past couple of months, I think are awesome. Okay. Um, and uh, he also asks about, um, well, I mean, this is, it's, it, I feel like it's kind of on the same tip, but he asked about, um, the, the most, uh, significant in the club's history. Um, so I guess that's maybe... actually a bit easier yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I think the Descendants show 
mattered a lot because think about it. If you're like a Vitus primarily was known heavy music space, right? And when you have a band that's like a really big band that is not, it's not hitting, you know, on the nose of like a black metal or a death metal or whatever band, you know what I mean? Like that's really tied to the definition of, of Vitus in a lot of ways. It's like, all right, if you're like a rock band, an emo thing, anything, and you, you know, all the kind of things that the descendants cross into, once they've played there, everybody else sort of can. You know what I mean? Like, if it's good enough for your heroes, it kind of can be good enough for a lot of other bands, right? Yeah. And yeah. it was just such a massive thing. So I feel like there's, like, a lot of those moments. I could, like, really, like, kind of key them in and, like, point them out. I feel like there, there was that one. I feel like when St. Vitus played St. Vitus was a big deal because they're definitely, like, a bigger band. We had started, like, trying to get bigger bands to play and – Obviously, they're the namesake. That was really cool. Carcass, I just mentioned. That was really early on, you know, and uh, Brandon Stosi, you know, pretty much brought that a, a bit and, like, we worked it all out, and that was crazy. That was so long ago. I think we had Carcass in, like, I don't know, 2012 or something. Like, wow. it was crazy. Like, if Carcass plays, what other death metal band can't fucking play? Or, like, metal band can't play, you know? True. In my mind, I'm like, fucking, yeah, all right, you know? I, I think it's those sorts of moments. Like, I think that when Sacred Bones did their showcase there, a lot of, like, at the time, like, goth and post-punk stuff that they were sort of doing and they were willing to bring it there, that kind of opened up some doors, you know what I mean? Uh, Nirvana, no shit. Huh. It was a huge deal. That opened up doors, you know? So I think about, oh, in those early times, there's like those key moments like that. You feel like something like, like Yob was also a big one. Also, any time that they play, must see TV for me. Like one of the um, amazing. Um, but those moments, right? It's like Yob plays, okay, you're doing band. Yeah, cool. Like, you know, like you could play too. So I think in the, in terms of like the growth of the club, there's always those things, you know what I mean? Where like there are moments where maybe different scenes or different people have like been like, yeah, this is cool. Like we can use this place and that's awesome. And, and like people take note of it, like, oh yeah, like that's amazing. And like, okay, like we should fuck with this spot, you know? So I think that th those are definitely some like, easier to like denote things than like the the personal stuff because that's like they're all my children you know uh, i love yeah them. F fair enough and while you're talking about getting that's an interesting point you make about getting these bigger bands so then who can't you get after you get carcass or someone uh dave dave gladding you had a uh, your other question that you wanted to bring to the table was kind of in that in that realm right yeah i was just i was always kind of curious about like when i saw that you know, like you had said, like like you got like Nirvana or Megadeth. I think Anthrax played at one point. Like, how do those, like, how do those come about? Do, do you approach these bands? Do like does their people call you and say they want to play a like a smaller venue? Is there? A... It's, it's all it's all just case by case, man. You know, and a lot of times I'm just like looking for opportunities. Like, what's a good opportunity to like 
you know, are they playing a festival nearby? Is there a new record? Could we do something interesting? Like, what what's going on there? You know what I mean? And like every situation is just different, you know. And and some people like it's it, it bands are just like yes, we would like to play the bar. You know what I mean? They want to do something small. Sometimes it's like me being like, yo, you should really do this. This would be ill. You know, like <laughs> we can make a big story out of it. You know, and it could be interesting. It's it's just a real wide variety. You know, but I definitely look. Uh, I like to like look for, you know, just like what would be appealing for a band to like want to do it because to be honest, at that point, it's like a band wanting to do it, you know, it like there's no reason besides <laughs> them wanting to find like that, right? Like they could go play wherever because they're anthrax, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, you know, uh, that that's what it is. So it's. Um, it's it's amazing though you know and the fact that our number has been called on plenty of times and that's the way it is so uh, but yeah i think it, it's just like trying to find the opportunity and sometimes the bet you know after many years you know we've been around over a decade now people also know of us you know but in, in establishing it yeah we definitely work in the phones i do i i really can't imagine uh someone like dave mustaine like having to push through the crowd to get to the stage to play to play like i wonder did he have like security surrounding him like beating people back with sticks and stuff and <laughs> then like dousing him with hand sanitizer when he got up on stage uh nah man he just <laughs> rolled in to the basement and just walked up there and just like shredded holy wars man like it was nice it was it was sweet yeah like they just fucking did the thing you know i feel like in a lot of ways you know uh, I think what a lot of band, like a, a 200 person club is very unforgiving, huh. you know, yeah. like you yeah. have to be fucking good. And like, they were fucking good, you know, like there's bands maybe of their elk who couldn't pull it off as well as like a Megadeth, you know? So he went up there and made it happen, man. Like that shit was, it was high, you know, they were, they were good. And like, I think that that's kind of interesting in a way because everybody to kind of play on that kind of like bare bones playing field. And that's kind of cool. And I think that's why certain folks uh, of a certain stature, if they're super cool, they just, they like it though, man. You know what I mean? They're like in the mud, like, fuck, that's dope. And they're, and like, they're a little closer and, and with everyone and a little, it's a little crazier and a little, uh, you know, a little more raw or whatever. And when you have, nice. when you have the big stage vibe, you don't get that as much. So for them, it's kind of like, you know, maybe for Dave bringing it back to Ruthie's in. That, that is nice to hear though, that like, he's like a band like that, of that, of that stature sort of like still has it and is still like willing to, to do that, to play like, to like get in think, people's faces like that. I, I think it's really interesting too, man. There's a lot of, a lot of people react to it in different ways, let's say. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right, man. So, uh, just moving on, we got one more Patreon question. You've been very generous with your time, uh, Dave. So the last Patreon question, actually, technically he was the first, uh, Eric Ruthig, what was your, what was Dave's personal favorite show you saw there? And are there any bands you wish you could have booked before they broke up? Mm, okay. So somebody asked about the white whale as well. Yeah, that, that was Hank's. I was going to bring that. I was going to bring that back, Hank. I promise. Yeah. So. Uh, Napalm Death. 
Mm, okay. okay. I've had I've had Napalm Death booked multiple times and it just hasn't happened. And I'm just like, fuck, the pandemic took it. Then before that was just another circumstance. So Napalm, I, I need Napalm. Like I got to have it. <laughs> That's one like we got to hang the banner, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Just obviously one of the all time greats, you know? And they're so good live too. Oh my God, dude. Absolutely, man. Like just fucking so good, you know, like the dance, the whole shit, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to, I just, I can imagine it in the club and how awesome it would be. And we had, I think three nights sold out, uh, in 2020. And then we all know what happened there, you know? And I'm just like, God fucking damn it. Like, you know, like, Oh, what's it going to take? You know, but uh, that's definitely one that's high on the priority list. Absolutely, for sure. And then I think the other one would be Godflesh. Mm-hmm. Surprised Godflesh hasn't played there for some reason, man. All right, fair enough. Yeah, um, totally. So those are those are definitely two that are firmly in my sights. What about like all-time favorite? Is there? I know they're all your children, they're all your babies, but is there just one yeah. that that sticks right out in your memory? Like that was the night it's you know it's tough man you know like i named a bunch that i thought were like really good but memory is a tricky thing you know it's been like 10 years and like there's just been a lot of a lot of moments that i just i dig you know and i was fucked up for half of it too at least so (laughs) you have to remember that you know and it's it's not like i'm like on the wagon or something now i just don't nearly drink as much as i used to but um yeah you know it's it, it it's just hard to kind of qualify man you know um yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, that's a really difficult question to answer you know and it's not like because i'm afraid of playing favorites it's just like there's just been some really fucking sweet shit you know um i would say the most surreal night had to be the nirvana night you know it was definitely yeah. the most surreal yeah. i could say that like it sticks out because of the surreal nature of it you know but there's just been a lot of like really sick shows that I just like absolutely loved, you know? Um, Obviously. I'll, I'll definitely, I'll go with one of the shows that I really remember though, is when Yav came out with the clearing the path to ascend and, you know, Marrow is such a beautiful, insane song. Like, what Yab does to people, it's like it, they're such a heavy, insane band, and they play for like uh, on that. We flew them out on that, and they, I think they play for like three nights, like two hours each night, like different sets, and people would like leave like smiling, like crying and smiling and shit. That is insane. I don't think I see that reaction often. So oh. that's something that sticks out. Wow. But there's there's plenty. But yeah, Yab fucking rips. <laughs> All right, man. Um, so many, so many good ones, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, then let me ask you this: This might be a little bit of an easier one to sort out now. Um, this episode probably should be out by latest, like the first week of June. Are there any shows coming up that you want to talk about? Anything that you that's uh, you know you're not going to be spilling any secrets or anything like that? Just anything booked coming up that you're particularly excited about or that you would like to talk about? Fuck yeah. 
absolutely let me throw the promo hat on uh real <laughs> quick time. but but now nah, but uh, honestly we we announced something today that i'm i'm really stoked about so um it's something called Necrofest, and it's uh, something that I booked in collaboration with my buddy Zach Mild. Shout from, to Zach. Uh, to, to Zach and to, to Jackie, also from Oxley, also from Come Mierda, two really cool bands. Zach has been working with us for a long time. He's fucking great. He works door, he books shows. He's wonderful. And they had a festival called Necrofest in 2019 that was really cool. And they were building it into something for 2020 had a really cool lineup then we all know what happened there 21 they didn't get to do it but we're bringing it back baby and uh i helped them out a little bit they were gracious enough to like you know let me help and and do some shit with them and it was really cool and so it's a three-day affair it's in july july 8th 9th and 10th i believe that's a friday saturday sunday but uh the first night is Devil Master, Gel, Hustler, Come uh, Mierda, Funeral Dancer, Lousy. So it's like got like a really nice like punk and hardcore metal flavor for that first night, which is super fucking great. And then the second night really leans into a lot of the kind of like leading lights of, of I feel like, death metal and like up and coming death metal and a lot of other cool shit. And we have and even like some kind of like gore grind shit. We have 200 Stab Wounds, Sanguisugabog, Outer Heaven. Uh, we have Miasmatic Necrosis, Mutalitred. I mean, it is fucking sick. And I believe yep. we have Exsanguinated on that show. Full, full disclosure, full disclosure for everybody. All right. Every, everybody sees what's going on here. Yeah, Exsanguinated. I, I actually- no, yeah, he didn't put me up to it, man. I'm just saying, like, I, I, we help, <laughs> we help do this thing. And then the third day is fucking wonderful too. We have like, you know, a little bit more grind and noise with No Mas, Sissy Spacek, Chapang, uh, Mike Berdan from Uniform, White Phosphorus, just a lot of really cool bands in, in that sort of zone. So I feel like with Necrofest we've been curating like three kind of like distinct days, but with like a lot of crossover of like, Hey, you know, you could like multiple things, uh, but everything's really strong. And I think Jackie and Zach did a really sweet job just like developing this. And I just think it's a lot of really amazing underground music of a lot of different stripes. So I think that that's fucking rad. And then on a more like synth, level uh white ring is playing and i really like white ring uh i think that they're just one of the cool coolest bands kind of going um really wild story so white ring beats your mouths and trace them out on some like synth industrial tip and then uh let let's just say Demolich is playing with yeah. fucking uh with Antichrist Siege Machine, Crossbitter, and Glorious Depravity. Like, Beautiful. Shit. Yeah, and Hatred Surge. But Hatred Surge sold out. But Hatred Surge, like, super fucking great. Um, shout out to Dano who booked that one. Um, that's just fucking savage, amazing shit. And I, Scourge is playing, like, a bunch of really good bands uh, are on that as well. Um, 
I believe scapegoat. Like uh, it's just a, it's a really good lineup. He does great stuff. And yeah, man. So there's just a lot of, and that's, that's all in like June and July, you know? So a lot of great stuff coming up and like I said, trying to keep it fresh, do cool shit, you know, and, and continue the, continue the mission. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. And thank you for everything you do and to your, uh, your coworkers and uh, co-conspirators over there. Thank you to them. You mentioned Jackie and, and Zach. Um, and everybody else. And um, as we said, to be respectful of your time, you've been very generous already. We, we have to close out with the um, the usual question of asking you to please recommend one older and one newer release by any artists that you like, uh, demos, EPs, albums, whatever, metal or otherwise. Just give us something a little bit older and something a little bit newer uh, to check out. Okay, cool. Uh, let me think about it real quick. Um, hmm. I would say that like for newer shit, the things that I've been listening to, I'm going to do two because um, I'm going to make the rules now. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I've been listening to the new Summerlands. Uh, like so, it, two songs have come out. I think that the full record's coming out soon, but the new Summerlands is fucking so sick. Um, love it. Shout out to Arthur and, and Radigan, like amazing. Uh, and then I would also say that the new Negative Plane is fucking amazing. Um, they just put one out called Pack that's fucking so rad. So I was checking that out. Um, and then as far as older shit, fuck, man. Um, I just, you know, DJ Desert Fest and just, just like the power of judas priest compels me i just been <laughs> listening to a bunch of judas priest and stuff like that and like i feel like maybe people sometimes forget that like metal and stuff can like and like harder rock can make you like dance you know what i mean mm. and uh that's and, and you just and sing and you know pump your fist in there and do stuff like that and i feel like when I listen to, to Priest, different eras of it, I, I get a lot of that. And I just, I fucking love it, you know? So I've been on a little bit of a kick lately there um, because, you know, I feel like I was kind of getting ready to DJ that kind of shit. And I was like, oh man, they're just so fucking good. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even matter the record. It's just, they're great. Like, but I'm firepower. That shit's fucking good. All right. All right, I, I can't argue with Judas Priest. I'm a sucker for a lot of the old classics like that, man. Yeah, um, and it just you know it's just something that just happened because I was just DJing. So there you go. That's an older, a way older. <laughs> all right, man. Fair enough, man. Um, and uh, you know, j just uh, wrapping up as we mentioned before, if you want to check out any of the music we discussed, um, Shadow Gallery is the 2011 album on Prosthetic Records by Primitive Weapons. Um, White Widows Pact put out uh, True. Will in 2015. We didn't even really get to touch on White Widow's Pack that much, um, Dave. I apologize. Um, but that, oh, yeah. yeah, and I make industrial music now under the name Confines, so that's kind of like the latest and, and greatest of at least my music making endeavors. Yeah, and um, uh, so Confines, and we encourage everybody to go, to go check that out. Uh, I believe it's on Bandcamp, right? Yeah, Confines is on Bandcamp, Spotify, all those things. You all, can all check it out. Um, fair enough, man. And obviously, uh, St. Vitus Bar goes um, without saying. Your reputation uh, precedes itself. And just from Heavy Hole Podcast, we thank you so much for your time, man. We'll be in touch when this episode goes up. Thank you. 
Yeah, man. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, fan of the show, fan of you guys. It's been great. So really appreciate you. Thank you very much to Dave Castile. We appreciate him and uh, his time and all of his contributions to the scene. We didn't even really get into uh, White Widow's Pack uh, that much, as I said, which um, is unfortunate. But I urge everyone to check out White Widow's Pack uh, and Primitive Weapons. And um, look up the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn if you're in town, man. So many great shows, like he said, coming up. Yeah, what's the um, Maximum Sound? What's that? Na- maximum Noise? It's the um, YouTube channel. That is that dude, Frank? I think Frank, yeah, yeah, that's the fella's name. But he, uh, yeah, if you're not familiar with St. Vitus, that's, yeah. he films a lot in there, and uh, you feel the, like you're in the room. What was the name again? The channel Max Volume Silence. Max Volume Silence. Shout out to Frank Wang. Another guy, we should get him on the podcast eventually, too, man. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, they can check out that YouTube channel. If, if you want to get a tape, wherever you are in the world listening to the podcast, we appreciate it, first of all. And you can go to that um, uh, Max Volume Silence uh, YouTube channel, and he's documented tons of shows uh, at St. Vitus over the years, man. You can see lots of bands. Um, and um, you could also see lots of bands uh, on the Heavy Hole Podcast uh, Patreon. When we talk about, we well, can't see them. You could listen to us talk about lots of bands on the Heavy Hole Podcast Patreon. You can go back and listen to a lot of. We've been around. We've been doing this for a few years now. We got yeah, we got a couple a interviews out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people can go 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 back on your streaming platform of choice and go back and look. We've interviewed some some bigger names. We've squeezed our squeezed ourselves in where we don't belong every once in a while. And- out to everyone else and you know what i mean i'm, I'm just damn it we a, belong will yeah we've, well, we've got some new people hanging on every once in a while but um uh yeah and we're on this we're on the social medias um the ones that won't get you red flagged anyway not the, the ones that aren't weird the good ones yeah <laughs> well that well that's going a little far too i was doing air quotes <laughs> underground metal on the mainstream uh social medias of course yeah man um <laughs> yeah like i said we got we're, we're trying to up the patreon game a little bit too and of course, thanks to Dave Glading, the newest member of the Heavy Hole Podcast team, for um, riding with Shotgun with me on that uh, interview, helping out a little bit and contributing his part. Um, uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit more recommendations from Dave in the future too. And um, if in case you want to interject your own opinion or uh, um, ask us a question or anything like that, you can go to heavyholepodcast at gmail dot com. Like I said, we are on uh, Facebook and IG. If you want to drop a message there. Uh, and we have the voicemail line, um, which probably should be in the description wherever you're listening to this. I, yeah, I, I usually drop it in there. Uh, Tom, you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt. You're drinking a beer. I don't want to push you there. Look up the Heavy Hole Podcast voicemail. It's in the description for every episode. It's on our website. It's all over the place. Um, and, you know, shifting gears a little bit, uh, we did give that number out recently uh, on a more serious episode um, when uh, our, our friend Trevor Sternad from the, the Black Dahlia murder passed away a few weeks ago. And we did say on that bonus episode to reach out um, if you wanted to uh, reflect, if you wanted to leave your own memory or something like that, um, you know, you could call the voicemail. And, we, there, you know, there was, shout, you know, shout to, there was a few people who just reached out behind the scenes and the, and the messages and things like that, man. And we're just... Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just happy personally that, you know, uh, I could connect with a few people and maybe, you know, we could help each other, uh, process that sort of thing. So 
you know, not, not, again, and not to drag it um, either, but we are going to play two voicemails that we received uh, in the midst of that episode right now. Right, Tom? Yeah, we're going to play these and then uh, wrap the show. Just kind of tip the hat. At, yeah, at the end. Yeah, okay. exactly. I think we've we've already plugged all the social medias. Big shout out to Dave Castile and uh, Dave Gladding, also a member of the Heavy Hole team, man. Hey guys, Tyler Craig. Um, it's been a long time since I called in, but um, just wanted to give my thoughts and just get some stuff off my chest after hearing the news about um, Trevor's passing from Black Dahlia murder. It really was painful to hear, especially with the nature of of his passing is very very tragic black dahlia murder was a gateway band definitely for me into more modern death metal and more extreme music in general he was a true steward to the genre he was a very charismatic very um energetic fun loving very outgoing and just a great ambassador for death metal and extreme music in general some of the best albums of the past 20 years or so within the death metal scene came from him and his personality just shines right through every single release that he's been a part of. It's very, very sad to hear. And it's definitely been on my mind here recently. And it's definitely, I'm sure it's been on you guys' minds as well. Having have toured with him and spoken to him many times, my heart goes out to everyone that has very um, been a part of his life and that everyone's been touched by him. And I really do hope and pray that he found peace in his last moments here on earth. And I'm really just at a loss for words, really. Nothing much more I can say other than um, rest in peace, Trevor. And my heart goes out to everyone that knew him and that were friends with him and knew how special he was. Thanks, guys. Shout out to Tyler Craig. Thanks for leaving that. This is rough for everyone, and um, we know you echo a lot of the sentiments that are going on right now in the community. We got one more voicemail from Cody here, and um, we're going to wrap up the show with that. Hey, Heavy Hole. This is uh, Cody calling. Um, just listen to your tribute to Trevor and uh just wanted to say, you know, I never really uh never really got into Black Dahlia, but I know what I did here, I mean it was it was just great stuff. But um you know, I just wanna say, you know, I I lost my dad when I was real young to uh suicide and you know, it's it's hard. And I just wanna say everyone out there just you know, look look out for each other and I mean if you're if you're really feeling you know, like, that's that's your only way out. Reach out to somebody you trust and know and just talk. W- whatever you're going through, it, it may seem hard, but it's it's not the end. Look out for each other. Talk to each other. You know, just you see somebody's maybe having a rough time, just reach out to them. And sometimes it's even the happiest-looking people can be seriously struggling with something and yeah i just say just got to look out for each other and keep your hopes up it's it's hard it's it's a bitch it's not the end there's going to be so many people who you know genuinely do care about you and you know are going to miss you and there's 
there there's just there's people you can talk to if you if you need to go seek out therapy do it there's nothing wrong with that at all there's so many options just look out for each other keep your head up yeah it's it's heartbreaking hearing something like that especially from someone you know as prominent and you know who definitely seemed like you know they were they were happy and they you know they had everything they could ever want it's it's not about what you have it's you know, just stay safe out there. Talk, reach out. Start breathing.